0: Hello, everybody. Welcome once again as we continue on in our Bible study that we're doing uh, through the New Testament. We're doing a chapter a week. We've done Matthew. We've done Mark. We've done John. Now we're in the book of Luke and then we're going to jump from there into the book of Acts. Uh, this is our 70th week I've been counting uh, in the New Testament. And when I started, I told you I'm, it, it was going to take five years. So we're we're a week and a year and 20 weeks into it. So we're doing good. And, uh, then from there we'll jump into the Old Testament. That'll be another 15 years. And then we're gonna repeat the entire cycle. So we've got, I've got this thing planned out for the next, uh, 38 and a half years. Which is good, because then I don't have to worry about it too much. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what my hope is, right? How was my deal with the Lord? I figured it was the 38, 88 and a half. I can go out and preaching, and I'm good. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, so we're working on that. And don't forget, if you're coming on the weekends now, we're doing the Ministry of Encouragement and you've been getting homework. You're supposed to be memorizing those verses. And everybody looks at me like, <gasps> because they forget as soon as they leave. All right? So, because after I'm done on Sunday, everybody goes... And do you know where the verses are? Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. That's good. Very good. So you're in a bit... But now, so we want to go past that to actually know in the verses. That'd be the next and, so, so you gotta just, we just gotta get there together. It's gonna to be good, alright? Alright. So, learn them. It's to, so by this weekend you should know up through verse 21. But this is an easy week. This verse is really easy. It's only like six, eight words, alright? So, I'm not gonna test you tonight because I wouldn't be fair. I want you to be thinking about it. So you've still got until Sunday to get this figured out. OK, so uh, and then how many of you have, have thought about the equation I gave you Sunday? U plus two P.E. equals three P.E. How many can tell me what the U stands for? U. Very good. And two P.E. is equal to two people encouraged and three P.E. is. All right. You're getting the idea. So you encourage two people, and three people are encouraged. So keep it up. That'll be good. We're going to look at Luke chapter 3 together today. Remember, Luke is a historian, uh, a a very detailed recorder of events, um, uh, researcher, uh, and he is writing to Theophilus, who is a lover of God, um, a, a Gentile believer, we we believe, although there was speculation that Theophilus could mean just the lovers of God because that's sort of what that name means. So uh, it's been speculated over the years that it's just in general written to the lovers of God. Although even if it was written first off to Theophilus, it certainly was written to the lovers of God, which is all of us. And Luke uh, records in this go- gospel uh, the activity of Jesus uh, before his birth and before his ministry and then of his ministry. And then he slides into the book of acts to record, um, uh, Jesus coming back and, and, uh, telling his guys what was happening. And then, you know, wait, this Holy Spirit's going to come. And then the Pente- Pentecost happening and, uh, the church taking off from there. And the book of acts records all that. And Luke is, is faithful to record all of that chunk of time for us. And so, uh, It's it's a great thing that we have this available so we can see what was happening and what was going on in the process of the ministry of Jesus and the early church. So we've we've kicked in and we've seen, uh, uh, you know, the the birth of John the Baptist and also of Jesus. And um, in Luke chapter three, we're going to see the introduction of the ministry of John the Baptist and um, and what that looks like. And, And that's primarily what's going to happen. In this chunk of Scripture. So if you uh, want to read along with me, uh, as I read, you can you can follow along. Uh, it should be all in your notes, or you can pick up the Bibles in the, the rows there and read along. Or if you've got your own Bible, turn there. I'll be reading out of the NIV. Only 38 verses in this chapter, so not a very long one. Not like some of them. that we get them. they got 80. Uh, this one we should be able to get through fairly quickly. All right? Luke chapter 3, verse 1 through 38. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene. Sounds like Texas. I don't think that's where it was. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. That's quite a little first two verses, isn't it? So, John, the son of Zechariah, remember we met him in the first chapter. That's John the Baptist, okay? All right. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight pass for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? "...produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then?" the crowd asked. And John answered, "...the man with two tunics should share with him who has none." And the one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you require to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. John answered them all, I baptize you with water. But one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the weed into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the tetrarch because of Herodias, his brother's wife... And all the other other things he had done, evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. Now, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph. Now we get into a whole lot of names. The son of Heli, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Genai. the son of Joseph, the son of that guy, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Nagai, the son of Maath, the son of, there's another one of those, the son of the son of Joseph, the son of Jodah, the son of Jonan, the son of Resa, the son of Zerubbabel. I know that one. The son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adai, the son of Kosam, the son of Elmadam, the son of Er, the son of Joshua, the son of Eleazar, the son of Joram, the son of Matat, the son of Levi"... The son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Eliakim, the son of Maliah, the son of Menah, the son of matatha the son of Nathan, the son of David, well, that probably should be one you know. The son of Jesse, maybe him too, the son of Obed, maybe him. The son of Boaz, perhaps him, the son of Salmon, the son of Nashon, the son of Aminadab, the son of Ram, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah. The son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, should be another one you know, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, probably heard that one before, old as Methuselah, he lived a long time that guy. The son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalal. <laughs> That's a good name. Somebody ought to name somebody that. <laughs> hey, Mahalalala. <laughs> I just like saying that now. <laughs> I wish it, I wasn't too old to have kids because I got a new name. I'd like you to meet my son, Mahalalala. <laughs> okay, I'm moving on. The son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. And blessed be the word of the Lord. Okay, so not a long chapter, um, but there's a few things I want to talk about as we uh, think about Luke chapter 3. Um, One of the things that happened is that the way those first two verses start out is that Luke, because he's a historian, gives us enough information that we can actually date when this thing is happening, when the ministry of John the Baptist starts, because we we can historically date when those people he talked about ruled from when to when and when they were all in uh, at the same time in the same place when they were doing their thing. So we know those dates from history. And so, John the Baptist... We're close enough. John the Baptist's ministry began sometime between September of 027. (laughs) I like saying that. And October of 028. So, somewhere between 27 AD and 28 AD, the ministry of John the Baptist started in Jerusalem. It's a long time ago. Um, But that's when things took place. And John's ministry... Was a a message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, and baptism was considered an outward picture of an inner change, which is still is. When when we baptize, we are um, we're going through an outward symbol of something that's already happened on the inside, and and uh, and it's something that as believers. We all need to be. And I, I bring that up all the time. But but it's part of the things that we were called to. Jesus gave it as an ordinance to the church that we need to believe in him and be baptized. And uh, if you haven't ever been baptized, you need to get that way. We're going to have another baptism here in, in July, I believe. I haven't actually picked a date, but some people have been asking me. So apparently it's time again. And so um, you need to be baptized. Now, this was an interesting thing um, when John started this ministry, because it was not the custom for Jewish people to be baptized, the only sort of historical reference we can see to baptism prior to this was that Gentiles who were converting to Judaism were, were needed to be baptized because there was something very ceremonial in the, the cleansing and the dunking that needed to take place. But John comes along and he preaches uh, uh, this baptism. Um, that that needed to be taken on by everybody who wanted to follow God. Now, this wasn't a baptism unto salvation, um, and he he referenced that by saying, "Someone's coming that's greater than I who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire." But um, John the Baptist's ministry was preparing the way of the Lord, and and he he was there to prepare the hearts of the people. To respond to the Messiah when the Messiah came. That's what was happening. So John um, steps into this whole process. Now remember, uh, he was recognized as a prophet. And he was the last then of the Old Testament prophets. And the people responded to his message because they recognized him as such. And so this was after a long silence um, of the prophetic voice among the people of Israel. Uh, and, and, and here comes John the Baptist. And he comes to prepare the heart for the Messiah who's coming. And um, because the people had, had gotten, as we've discussed, they were hardened. The religious leaders had really taken um, the concepts of, of worshiping God and had totally made them about rules and regulations. And that the Pharisees, by this time, uh, there's about a 400-year spot where the prophetic voice kind of stops from Malachi into the arrival of John the Baptist. And a couple hundred years into that process, the Pharisees had started up, and we've talked about this, and they initially started with good purpose and intent. You've heard me after every gospel say this, which was to protect Judaism from the influences of the Greeks. Um, They they didn't want Judaism to to be influenced by the, the Greek culture or to be Hellenized, which was so prevalent and so they they banded together to protect Judaism. So it started with good purpose. But over time, like many things that start with a good purpose, it had begun to lose its way. And and in, in trying to protect Judaism, they had made it all about rules and regulations. And And it had come down to this process that no one could really successfully maneuver, even the Pharisees themselves. And and they they became amazingly self-righteous and hypocritical in the administration of what they were given as the defenders of God's word and of the truth and of relationship with God. And people could no longer get to God because they'd made it basically impossible. Uh, and, and so John the Baptist comes to prepare the way for uh, the Messiah that they'd all been waiting for. And yet... The Pharisees, by now, were so entrenched, and we're going to see it clearly. They they don't appreciate it. They're pretty happy with their gig, um, and they're well recognized and in positions of power. and uh, And so the the established religious leaders they won't accept him. The established political leaders are threatened by him. They don't accept him, and and so uh, Jesus, when he comes, but John is there to straighten things out too. To stir things up, to get people ready, to get people's hearts ready, so, so this this idea of, of his baptism was to encourage them to get prepared for the coming of the Lord and and so they they undergo baptism, a pretty major deal, pretty pretty big deal as it is today, but even then this this particular type was a was a statement of saying, Well, we really do want to follow God, and we don't know what it looks like anymore and and so they begin to ask John. A lot of questions. And uh, we'll start asking about that. And Luke is good about... You look for that question as you read Luke and Acts. The, the question happens all the time. Well, what should we do? And it's it's always a question of uh, how are we supposed to get saved? We want to know how to have relationship with God. And, and it gets posed throughout the book of Luke and the book of Acts. So look for it. So that happens in the first six verses. Then in verse 7 through 20. Um, some of these people are moving... In response to John, because the people are, and yet their hearts aren't in it. They, they just figure they better respond just like they do in a lot of cases because people are recognizing John the Baptist's ministry is coming from God and, and they're, they're calling him an old you know, prophet. And so some of the religious leaders are responding because they think they better because it looks good, and yet their hearts aren't really responding. And he has a pretty interesting way of calling them out. He calls them a brood of vipers. Now, the brute, he's talking about an offspring of vipers. And why that's worse than just being called a viper is that the, these, these offspring of the vipers were considered to be really nasty because they actually ate their way out of the womb. They were horribly vicious, nasty creatures. And that's what John the Baptist calls them. Not a real welcoming way. <laughs> he, he's obviously not going for a numbers thing here. You know what I'm saying? You brute of vipers. What? Um, uh, but, but anyway, um, these guys are coming up and what John goes on to say is it's not enough to get baptized. It's not enough to just go into the water. There has to be a, uh, a fruit in keeping with repentance. There needs to be some change that takes place. And, um, see, let's talk about that because I, I, I think that repentance is a good subject to talk about and, and, uh. See, that's what he was looking for. Repentance is a change. It's a it's a complete turnaround. And um, that's what the people were to do. They were to turn their hearts away from what they'd been going after and turn their hearts back towards God and to begin to live in some sort of relationship with Him and what that looks like to be the people of God. And that's what repentance still means. When we repent from something, we're to change. There, there's the concept of change. And um, so, when we repent and move towards the Lord, it should be accompanied by change. Not not everything at once. I get that, but a ongoing change process as we yield to the Holy Spirit, where to be changed. But a lot of times, we we have this idea, I think, of repentance, and it, it gets tied into forgiveness and some other things. And, and so, I, I like to bring them up whenever I, I sort of get into the subject, um, because. When someone really repents, it means that they're sorry and they're willing to demonstrate it by changing. Now, a lot of times we have this sort of counterfeit that I call it, which is when someone says they're sorry for something, but they don't really mean it. You ever you ever been... because you've done it yourself. (laughs) Just because it's the easiest thing to do. Or the worst one is people who begin to confess to something that they've been caught for caught doing but they only give up what they're caught for they never really get rid of it all and 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 so we have this stuff going on but see here's how all this ties together when 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 we've messed up when we've hurt somebody um i think i'm going to get this right it's okay i can stop See, sometimes when we hurt somebody, and I'm talking about really hurt somebody, I'm not talking about something little like, you know, leaving the toilet seat up or something like that, okay? That's a whole different ballgame. I'm talking about if we really do hurt someone, and we realize that we've hurt someone, we have different ways we can go. Now, one of the ways we might go is we might just say we're sorry, but we're only saying we're sorry because we want it to move along. We're just... We don't really want to deal with it. We just want it to be sort of glossed over. So sometimes we'll do that. But that's not really repentance. Repentance is when not only do we realize that we've hurt someone, but we, we don't want to do it anymore and we want to change and become different. Now, the way that plays out in relationship is this. If someone hurts you and really hurts you, again, not a little tiny thing, but it's a major hurt. And, and they, they come to you and they say they're sorry and you say, okay. Uh, and yet then they start to demand that everything goes back to exactly the way it was, like almost immediately, that person's not really repentant. But when someone has hurt you and they're they're willing to admit that they've hurt you and they're willing to give you time to trust them again, to me that demonstrates repentance. Because that says they get it. And they know that in order to get back to the kind of relationship they'd like to be in, it's going to take time to rebuild trust. See, that's how you sort of know if someone's really repentant or not. See, there's a fruit in keeping with repentance. There's a there's a demonstrable fruit that goes along with godly sorrow, of realizing that you need to change. Now, the, these people were coming to be baptized, and they had some checkered pasts, and they were concerned about what it looked like. So they began to ask questions to John the Baptist. And so, like, um, uh, some people said, well, you know, people that had more than enough stuff, they would say to John the Baptist, "Well, what are we supposed to do? What does it look like?" And he and he said, "Well, if you got two tunics, tunics, which would have been a pretty big deal, you didn't need two; you only needed one. Believe it or not, back then that's all you needed. If you had two, why don't you give one to somebody who doesn't have one, because they have a need and you you have more than you need? This would be the heart of God, okay? So that came up, um, and and that would be one way to do it. You know, if you have more than you need, well, then help people who don't have enough." That was one answer of what this looks like, of what repentance sort of looks like. It's a, it's a change, which would that'd be a big change. Tax collectors came up and said, well, pff, we're tax collectors. You know, what are we supposed to do? And I'm, and I'm not picking on any tax collectors. OK, so um, but but they, they what are you supposed to do? And, and so John said, well, listen, instead of overcharging the people, which is what the reason the tax collectors back then such a bad rap was they they overcharged and they kept the difference. So they were pocketing a lot of people's money, and and they were getting away with it. And so uh, what John said was, if you're going to do this thing right, stop doing that. Just just take what you're supposed to take. Don't don't pad your own pockets. The soldiers came up and said, well, how about us? You know, we're soldiers. And and see, the soldiers were, were would falsely accuse people and then make them pay them off. Uh, so they were extorting from the people because they weren't satisfied with their pay. And John said to them, listen, just be satisfied with your pay. Quit doing that. Quit taking advantage of folks. See, these were, these were things that would demonstrate, re, you know, fruit in keeping with repentance. Now, and it's not, those things aren't all just outward activities because we can change our behaviors without changing our hearts. But it would have to come from a place where there was a heart change that was going on, and those hearts changed then would be ready to be able to embrace Jesus when he came. And so this was the ministry of John the Baptist. And it was a very powerful, very important ministry to come into this this whole system before Jesus that was all hardened and and cold and dead. And to begin to open them back up again to hope and that that hope was coming, that Jesus was coming. John even said, someone's coming, greater than I, he's coming. And we see uh, in the process then that Um, the other thing that happens is uh, Herod in speaking in the prophetic voice uh, John speaking in the prophetic voice speaks out against Herod who was with Herodias which was his brother's wife in a bad situation and Herod uh, John calls things the way they are um, because he speaks the truth and that didn't sit well with Herod and Herod has him imprisoned and ultimately has John beheaded And, and John sort of is a uh, he dies for speaking the truth, falsely accused, and it's, it's exactly what's going to happen to Jesus, who's going to die being falsely accused, but Jesus speaking the truth. No, no charges against him that could stand up, just at the hands of evil being taken down. So um, this ultimately happens with John. And then uh, while John is still baptizing, though, Jesus comes. We saw it in the other accounts, and he's baptized as well. And the voice of heaven breaks in. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And, and so there we have Jesus being baptized. If you were here two weeks ago, we or last week, last week or the week before, we saw Jesus being dedicated as a baby. And now he's baptized as an adult. That's one at the age of belief. People ask me sometimes why we do that the way we do. That's what I base that on. Why we don't baptize our kids. We, we dedicate our kids. We baptize them when they're older. Now, we, we do baptize children when I feel like they can relate to me what they're going through. So I've, 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 I've definitely baptized, you know, five-year-olds, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds who, who are in it. Um, but, uh, but that's why we do it that way. Not picking on any groups that baptize their babies. If that's how they feel they're supposed to do it, God bless them. Um, but just why we do it the way we do it. Because that was the, the pattern that we see in Jesus. So, um, so Jesus then has been baptized and Uh, Luke says about Jesus that he enters his ministry at about 30 years of age. So Jesus is about 30. 30 was a pretty normal age for men to enter in public sort of service ministry. Levite started at 30. So he would have been about 30 in the process. And depending on when his birth was, you know, we're trying to figure that out. And I said it wasn't zero it might have been three or four, but John the Baptist started in 27, 28. So Jesus was about 30, but he might have been 31, 32. It doesn't really matter, but just for you to think about uh, in the process. Now, those last few verses are uh, the last 15 verses are genealogy. Let me honestly, when you get to a genealogy in the Bible, do you normally read it? Do you skip it? I think most people skip it. And the reason I think that is that I often skip them myself. But you know, you, there's some fascinating stuff in the genealogies that if you if you don't read them, you might miss um, some of the amazing things that are actually in there. Um, and one of the things just off the top of my head is if they didn't have these genealogies, they wouldn't be able to trace authentically the lineage that they needed to trace to verify Jesus as Messiah because they couldn't do it today. They, they don't have these records anymore. They couldn't take it back now. So people that come in claiming to be the Messiah have no, there's no historical way to backtrack, to find out. But at the time, guess what they could do? They could do it. Because people, that's how they tracked themselves. It was different back then. I mean, we can't go back two or three generations. But they knew their lineage. And from where they came from, it was how things were remembered. It was passed on and passed on and passed on. So Luke's genealogy is a little different than some of the other ones we see in Scripture. Um, one, it's because he starts with the most recent time and works his way back. Usually it starts all the way back and works its way forward. Um, the, the ministry, the genealogy in Luke is different from the one of Matthew. Um, and the reason for that, most people believe, is that Matthew actually traces the lineage of Joseph and Luke very possibly traces the lineage of Mary. And if you... Take that into account. Both of them were descendants, ultimately, of David. But it comes through completely separate trees that touch now and again. It's pretty fascinating to look through and see the common elements. Something else that Luke does, that none of the others do, is that Luke takes it all the way back. Most of them start with Abraham. If you read Luke's, it went further. And and it goes back to Adam and ultimately back to God. And so it's a Luke's making a point here that Jesus, and he does this often, that Jesus is is um, universally available to anyone who will accept him as Lord and Savior, and and so by taking him all the way back past Abraham, he's making that point. See, because a- Abraham was where the the Jews began, but if you go past that, then see, remember we ran we skipped through Noah and all those guys showing up, all the way back. Luke's point often is that. Um, that, that Jesus is open and available to everyone, and remember, he's writing to Gentiles is pretty important. And that I, Luke three six, we read it, but we sort of went over it pretty quick. It says all mankind will see God's salvation. It's available to everyone. Luke's gospel is very universal in its availability to everyone to come to Christ, and so he's making a, a big step there away from what most Jews believed, which was it was all about them uh, in the process. So that's. Luke chapter 3, pretty much. And uh, it's already time to be done. I'm always amazed at how quickly those 25 minutes run by. Um, So we're done. If anybody's upstairs on the video, you can turn it off for me. Say goodbye, Williston, and uh, we'll see you soon.